How are you out there? Good. Anybody blessed? Amen. All right, blessed people. Let's get our Bibles out this morning. We are still discovering and enjoying the miracles of Jesus. We're in John 5 this morning. Finished up last week with the miracle that we're in. How many are happy that Lazarus is risen from the grave? Amen. Amen. He's, he's been with the Lord a long time now. But in John 5 here, we see the miracle of Jesus healing the lame man at Bethesda. And so we're going to explore that one together. John 5, verses 1 through 16. I'm going to thank God for the word in just a minute and read that to you. Uh, the verses we're going to cover today, by God's grace, are verses 1 through 6. So pay special attention to those, and we'll unpack all of what's in there. Let's thank God for the word. Father, this morning, we thank you for John 5. We thank you for the New Testament miracles that are chronicled for us to enjoy. Father, we ask that by the Holy Spirit, you would make all of the truth and all of the principles and all of the gems that stimulate our faith come alive in the word this morning, that each of us would go home challenged and stretched and encouraged today. Father, that's what your word does. And Father, I pray that by the grace of God, all of us would leave here a little closer to you, a little more committed to you, all by the power of your word. We ask that in Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. John 5, starting in verse 1. After these things, there was a feast, and the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos, In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, whoever then first after the stirring of the water stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for 30, 38 years, and when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been a long time in that condition. And he said to him, do you wish to get well? The sick answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred, but when I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath, and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said this to you? Pick up your pallet and walk. But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made me well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. Let's stop there. What a great miracle here. There's so many components that... We need to just kind of pull apart and savor and enjoy. We're going to focus on the first six verses there today. The climax of this in verse six is, do you wish to be well? 
you wish to be healed, depending on your translation. The backdrop for this miracle is interesting. There's always a setup. There's always some significance to where Jesus does a miracle, to how Jesus does a miracle, to when he does a miracle. That place where it happened was a place where miracles routinely happened. People were gathered there with some level of faith to believe for the miraculous. Now, they're at this pool of Bethesda, and understand something. It was not uncommon for miracles to take place here. And what I want you to see is people that were broken, people that were hurting, people that were in need of divine intervention would gather at this place. Why? Because miracles took place there. I want to tell you something. You say, well, we have a place like that? Yeah, it's called church. Amen. Church, and that's why we gather here, amen, because miracles happen here. Sicknesses are healed. Diseases are healed. Cancers are healed. You say that happens here? Yeah, it happens here. People have all kinds of testimonies. Uh, when we used to do the prayer, praise, and healing, we did one recently. You know what? We come with a level of faith, and God meets us. It's amazing to me that sometimes people get healed and they don't say anything. You know, you got a testimony. Yeah, 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 I, I'm, I'm too shy to see. Listen, this guy didn't even know who healed him. He's like, he gets healed, he takes up his bed, he walks away. Who healed you? I don't know. He just told me to do it. I listen. This is the place where miracles routinely happen. That's why we gather together as the body of Christ with an expectancy in our spirits and in our hearts. Man, don't come to church with the attitude, well, it's just church, you know, we're going to follow the agenda and we're just going to do, and we'll be out at this time and the roast is on a timer and it won't burn. And Come on, right? We need to come with expectant faith because this is the place where miracles happen. This is the place where we get set free from bondage and sin and habits. Come on. Now, I want to encourage you this morning. Miracles don't require a Ph.D. in religious studies. Amen. Oh, you got to be really smart for a miracle. You got to know all about miracles. You got to, you know, and you got to, you, you have to memorize massive amounts of Scripture. And if you quote enough Scripture to God, he'll be impressed and he'll heal you. Come on, that's not, no, you don't need a PhD. You don't need massive amounts of scripture memorized. You don't need a bulletproof understanding of every component of systematic theology that God looks down and goes, yeah, you, you're all good, so I can, no. All you need is just a little bit of faith. A little bit of faith. Come on, anybody come with a little bit of faith today, amen? Amen, woo, thank God. Man, first service, I thought I was gonna have to get out the Holy Ghost jumper cables. They were D-E-D dead. But you guys, are, you guys are blessing me this morning. Just a little bit of faith. We used to sing a song around here back when, and, and I sung it in first service, and some of the older people were like, oh, now it's stuck in my head. But we used, to, we used to sing faith, 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 just a little bit of faith. Faith, 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 just a little bit of faith. I like this part. You don't need a whole lot. Just use what you got. Come on. Faith, 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 just a little bit of faith. Oh, and that's, that's a simple song, but it's true. It's good theology, amen. It's not the, the intellectual or the profound understanding. No, it's just a little faith to come to Jesus and catch the hem of his garment and believe that when all else has failed, I believe, Jesus, you can heal me. That's what was here at Bethesda. There was a little bit of faith. Now, these people weren't godly people, the people of God. They weren't necessarily Jews. They were from all cultures and backgrounds and all different belief systems, but yet they had gathered there because miracles happened. Jesus just 
happens to be in Jerusalem. What a coincidence. And Jesus just happens to be strolling by the pool of Bethesda. Another coincidence. Don't you know that with Jesus, there's no coincidences? He wasn't there on accident. He was there on purpose because he had a divine assignment to meet with one specific man and to touch his life and to see him healed from what had afflicted him. I want you to understand something. It's never an accident when you encounter God. It's never just happenstance. Everything is done in order, on purpose, in God's perfect timing. But he's thinking about you and what you're going through, amen? Amen. It's nice that the God of heaven and earth is thinking about me. It's, it's beautiful that the God of heaven and earth is concerned with his children, each and every one of us. So Jesus is, just happens to be in Jerusalem, just happens to be by the pool there of Bethesda. Now, John uh, uh, gives us a description of Bethesda and its architectural layout, which is a little bit interesting to me. But I think it's there not because it's architecture or buildings that, uh, you know, inspire miracles. He wants us to know what the scene looks like there today. And uh, I want you to get a picture imprinted in your spirit of this scene because it's a, it's a scene that will move the hearts of men with compassion. Uh, Bethesda was, you know, this place that was laid out in such a way that it attracted the sick. Yeah, miracles happened there, but listen to this. Now in Jerusalem, what, he's by the sheep gate, a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda. Listen, having five porticos, and in these lay multitudes of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the waters to move. Now you say, oh, cool, you know, it's a pool, and it's got five porticos. What's a portico? It's not a porta potty No, it's not that. It's, it's not a company that supplies porta potties portico. It's not that. Some of you need to laugh. Your faces are going to crack if you don't. A portico was a, a structure that was prevalent in Greek architecture that basically was a roof that had pillars on three sides, and it was attached to a larger main structure. If you're paying attention to that description, you're going to understand it in Western architecture as a porch. Porticos are basically porches, and they had five porches laid out around this pool in such a way that the sick could be laid there and they could wait for the time where a miracle could happen. I want you to get this scene here because, you know, what? sometimes we read through Scripture and we don't allow ourselves to, you know, be affected by what's really going on. I want you to insert yourself into that place. You're, you're one of these sick people. You're broken down. You're beat up. You're, you need a miracle. And they've laid you out under this porch with a little roof, and you're laying around a pool, and you're just there all day in the hot sun waiting. Wow. Imagine that that was your place in life. Some of us are so blessed, and we just don't even... You know, we, we just don't even realize what people go through on a daily basis. Imagine if that was you there, blind in the heat, laying on a stretcher, crippled, waiting for a miracle to come when you didn't know. But yet, they built this place to make it easy to bring what verse 3 describes as the sick, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed and to lay them about, strewn everywhere. Humanity strewn under these porches around this pool, hoping for a touch of God. It's a sobering place to be in life when the only hope you have left is a miracle that requires divine intervention. 
The only hope these people had left who were strewn all about those porches around this pool was that God would somehow touch them by a miracle of divine intervention. That's quite a place to find yourself in life when there's nothing else you can do and there's nothing else anyone else can do and the only hope you have is a miracle. When the marriage is already in litigation and you don't want a divorce but but there's no budging on the other side, you need a miracle. When the child is so rebellious and headed for destruction, but they won't listen, you need a miracle. When the doctor says there's nothing more we can do and they send you home, we need a miracle. When the banker and the lawyer and the psychologist and the professional counselor and even the pastor has exhausted everything within their power and nothing has changed, and we need a miracle. Some of us have been there in life. Some of us are going to experience that in moments in life. So many questions pop up into the hearts and minds of men when they find themselves in places like I just described. Questions like, does God still intervene in the affairs of man? Questions like, will God really heal my body that's beyond the reach of medical science? Questions like, I know he's done it for others, but will he do it for me? And the truth is, we have to wrestle with those questions in those moments when we find ourselves in situations that only God can help us. And I want to encourage you today, our God still does miracles. I want to encourage you today, our God still intervenes in the affairs of men. He softens hardened hearts. He restores broken marriages. He heals sick bodies. That's what our God does. He's a God of miracles. They didn't stop in the the time of Jesus. No, they still continue today. Jesus said, greater things than this shall you do if you would just have faith. He's looking for faith this morning. (laughs) Maybe I'm preaching too strong for you. Some of you look like you're going to wilt but it's going to get a little bit more fun before we get to the end. Because, you know what, I want the risen Christ to leap off of these pages and inspire us to believe the word in such a way that we don't just have a little faith, but we got a whole lot of faith. Faith running over, faith that's attractive, faith that brings the the lost in, faith that sees miracles happen, amen? Look, this generation doesn't want more religion. They don't want a better brand of church. They don't want softer seats and bigger screens and better worship. What they want to see is the miraculous move of God in the people of God that believe the word of God. Just a little bit of faith. They were sick, blind, lame, paralyzed. They were backed into a corner in life. The only hope they had was that God would intervene And verse 4 tells us exactly what they were waiting for. It says, for an angel went down at certain times. So this wasn't a routine thing. It wasn't on a schedule. It wasn't like catching a train. No, at certain times, into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well with whatever disease they had. So picture this. They're sitting there. They don't know when, but at some point, an angel's going to stir up the water. You know, the pool is calm. It's, you know, it's like, it's like glass. There's no movement in it. Then all of a sudden, it's like a whirlpool. All the jets turn on. And you got to get in there. And there's a lot of people laying there. So, you know, you have to be the first one in because only the first one would be healed. Now, some might look at this situation and think, well, you know, that's awesome. That's really cool. They're, you know, the angel and all this stuff. Some might look at it and say, you know, that's kind of cruel. 
And I, as I looked at this, I'm like, man, really, God, you, you, you're going to make sick and crippled people race for the water? You're going to make them compete against each other? Could you see them? The blind guy tripped the lame guy, and, you know, he jumps in the pool, and someone body checks him, and here comes a dude in a wheelchair, and he just ejects out into the... What is this? Is this some sort of crazy game show? I'm just being real with you. This is, this is the way your pastor's brain works. That's kind of cruel, man. They're all sick. They're all lame. They're all out in the heat, heavens. Just, just heal them all, Jesus. Right? Just whoever wants to go in the water, heal them. No, the first one. So they've got, you know, the, you're sitting there. You're making friends with people. You're thinking, I think I'm a little faster than this guy. I can, I can probably beat him. He's out of it. He's out to lunch. He doesn't have a chance. You know, they're kind of, they're kind of like working against each other. What a sad place to be in. And it almost seems cruel, but when you dig a little deeper, even though all those things are legitimate observations, the truth is this was an expression of God's great grace to man. You say, well, how in the world is that true? Because, look, these people weren't believers. They were, they, they were from, you know, other systems of belief. They were from other cultures that didn't acknowledge God, that didn't worship God, that served idols. They just plopped anyone there who needed to be healed. And you say, well, how in the world do you know that, you know, these weren't like spiritual people or good people? Well, the one guy that Jesus heals, if you drop down to verse 14, he says, he says to him, after this Jesus found him in the temple, he said, behold, you've become well. Listen, do not sin anymore so that nothing worse will happen to you. This guy was there because of sinful choices that he made. Now listen, not everybody who's sick is a sinner. Say amen. You know, they're again charismaniacs. They'll pray for everybody. And if you don't get healed, well, you didn't have enough faith or you're a sinner. Or it's, you know, not everybody gets healed all the time. But like I said, more people get healed when you pray than when you don't, amen? So we pray for the sick, right? But if a sick person doesn't get healed, we don't go, oh, you didn't have any faith, or you, you're a sinner. Or That's what Pharisees did. But in this case, there were a lot of people here who were not worshipers of God. They worshiped idols. They, they were in all kinds of sin. And specifically, this guy, look, Jesus tells him, don't, don't go back to your old way. We're going to find out he was in this condition for a long time. But, you know, sin opens the door in our lives for all kinds of afflictions to come in. Don't think that you can just sin and do whatever you want, cross all kinds of lines, and that the enemy's not going to get into your life. And bring. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And if you open yourself up to him by yielding your members to sin when they're supposed to be instruments of righteousness, you're opening the door up for an attack and an affliction to come into your life. This guy, now we don't like preaching like that. We think, you know, everybody goes to heaven, all roads lead to God, all dogs go to, yeah, come on. Jesus warned him. He said, don't, don't do it again. Don't go back to that lifestyle. Don't, you know, or something worse will happen to you. Ah, what could be worse than what he'd been through? Yet we see these people lying here and we know they're waiting for the angel and it seems cruel that, you know, they somehow have to compete against each other to be the first into the pool. Yet it was really the grace of God, because I want to say something to you after everything I just said. God is under no obligation to heal any of us. You know, it's not like, well, I quoted the magic scripture, God. Now you have to, you, you have to do it. Because, you know, I, I said this, that, and the other thing, and I prayed really loud, and in King James, and now you have to heal me. 
Some of you think that, and that's, that's wrong theology. God doesn't have to do anything, amen. Yeah, his word says that we partner with it in faith, we believe it, but there are some times where, you know, we don't get the healing. I remember a guy in the New Testament, kind of an insignificant guy. He was called the Apostle Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He had an affliction, a thorn in the flesh, and he prayed about it three times, and God said, that's enough praying about it. Don't pray about it anymore. My grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to take it out. You're just going to have to deal with it. Now, we don't like preaching like that. So we'll have, let, we'll have more empty seats next Sunday. But it's the truth of God's word, amen. We pray for the sick. We pray for them to get healed. But we don't push God around or bully him with his own word to do what we say he should do. So it was God's grace that God healed these people who were, you know, not worshipers of him, not, not acknowledging him in cults and in sin, yet he would pour out miracles on them because of his grace just to show he was a loving father. So it wasn't cruel. It was grace. It wasn't cruelty. It was the goodness of God being expressed to sinful man, reminding man that there was a God in heaven who could heal the bodies of men. Verses 5 through 7 continue here in our text in John chapter 5, and they describe Jesus' interaction with one specific man. Now remember, there are pools there. There are five porticos, which are porches. They're loaded down with sick people, and uh, Jesus wades through the crowd, wades through you know, the multitudes, and he finds one guy in the crowd. Now it never ceases to amaze me how God in heaven could come down and seemingly stop everything in the universe and focus on the needs of one person. Have you ever had moments like that where everything stood still and God spoke right to you? Where everything seemed to come to a screeching halt and the word of the Lord penetrated your life in such a way that you were never the same again. Come on. Where maybe you sat in service and you heard the preaching of the word and something exploded in your spirit that sets you free instantly and you knew that you needed Jesus and he met you there. Come on, I'm talking about a moment with God, amen. This guy was about to have a moment with God. It was his moment. He waited there a long time, but yet Jesus wades through the crowd to go after one specific guy. It's things like this that convince me that God is really an intimate father, that he wants to have relationship with us. You mean there were so many people there that needed to be healed, but Jesus was on a mission for one guy because that was his moment. I want to encourage you today. It's your moment today. I want to encourage you today. I want to stir up your faith today. You're in the place where miracles take place. It's your moment today. God in heaven wants to meet you here, and he wants to touch you, and he wants to deliver you. Come on. I'm just looking for a little bit of faith this morning. I'm just looking for a little bit of faith. Look, you can sit out there and cross your arms and, and glare at me and say, I don't believe that. How do you know that, preacher? But I'm just throwing out the word this morning. I'm just throwing it out to see if it'll catch a little faith this morning that you'll have enough to just believe that I've had enough of this and I want to be free now. I want to change. I want to be delivered. Verse 5 tells us this poor man had been sick for 38 years. Say 38. That's a long time. That's a lifetime. Those might have been the best years of his life. He laid there sick, afflicted, 
As a result of sinful choices, the enemy had gotten a grip on his life and had afflicted him for 38 years, and now he was in the place where miracles happened, and his only hope was divine intervention, that somehow, some way, it would be his moment, and God would touch him. Think about that man waiting 38 years. Now, he could have done other things. You say, well, what, what could a person in this condition do? They could prop him up by some gate, and he could beg for money. He could panhandle. You know, and that would be more lucrative. You know, I'll get some of this, I'll get some of that. You know, uh, but instead of doing that, he decides to lay down in the place where miracles happen and wait on God. That says a little something about him, doesn't it? 38 years to me is, it speaks of tenacity. This guy was tenacious. You think he would have gave up long ago, and most people do give up long ago. Many believers have quit on God in just this little season of affliction we've gone through. There's certain seats that are empty. There's certain faces you don't see anymore. And they've used the excuse about what's going on in our world to quit on the kingdom of God. When the word of God says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, even so much more as you see the day approaching. Come on, if you can't see the day approaching, if you can't see the end times unfolding, if you can't see that the world is being made ready for the mark of the beast. Well, you got to take this or you can't buy or sell or you can't go here or you can't get groceries at Walmart or you can't have a job. Don't you see what's happening? Yet there's empty seats when this place should be thronged. This place should be busting at the doors. Why? Because life is being preached here, and there's hope that's coming out of here. We've got to get it outside of these four walls and get it to the people who have just a little bit of faith. Amen. Please, somebody do something. So here he is. He's 38 years in, and he's still, he's still in it. He's still there. I'm not saying he's not beat up. I'm not saying he's worn out. I'm not saying that moments he's lost, he's not lost hope, but he's still in it. Many have quit on God. They've quit on church and his promises, and they're not here. And it only took a, a year and change of hardship. We need to pray for those who have walked away from kingdom things and have busied themselves with other things, and they're not here under the word of God because it's going to get hotter and it's going to get tougher out there. Now's the time to run to God, not from him. So this guy, he's got 38 years in, and he's still tenacious enough to, to be in the game, and today is going to be his day. Jesus just happens to be in the neighborhood. Verse 6, we see that when Jesus looks at this guy, he knows all about what he's been through. And this shouldn't be an encouragement to us. It says in verse 6, and that he... All, and that he had already been in that condition for a long time. So I want you to catch this. Jesus looks at the guy, and he doesn't say, you know, what's your story or what's going on? He looks at him, and he knows exactly what's going on with him. And you say, well, why should that encourage me? Because he looks at us, and he knows exactly what's going on with us. He knows exactly where we're at. He knows exactly what we've been through. And he's headed for us because he has a mission to touch us and deliver us, but he knows what's going on in our lives. So many times people think God's not there. God doesn't understand. God's not aware. We fill in God on what, what's going on in our life as if he didn't know. God, do you know what they did to me here? Do you know what that person said to me? Do you know how my parents treated me? Do you know what the boss did? And Jesus says, no, why don't you tell me? He knows exactly what his children are going through. 
And he looks at this guy, and he's like, man, he's been going through this for 38 years. It's been a long time. Jesus reads his mail. And, and what's his response? He's headed for him. He has uh, healing in his hand. He cares about him, and he has compassion for him. You know, and that's what all of us really want, whether we're brave enough to admit it or not. We want to be cared for. We want God to have compassion on us. We want others to have care for us. Amen? You know, this, I can do it all myself, and I don't need anybody. That's just a very hurt soul articulating some smoke screen to protect a broken heart. All of us want to be cared for. All of us want uh, to, to have, you know, compassion poured out in our lives. There was an old woman who made frequent trips to her local post office in her small country town. One day she stood on a really long line of people who were waiting there for some services from the postal clerks. And even though the old woman just needed a few stamps, she happily stood on the long line. An observer trying to be helpful said to her, if all you need is stamps, ma'am, you can get them from the stamp machine and you don't have to stand on this long line. She said, oh, I know, but the stamp machine doesn't ask me how my arthritis is doing. Aww. You say, what's that all about? It's that human nature that wants to be cared for. That she would stand in pain on a long line, shuffle in her little walker, you know, with the tennis balls on it. You know what I'm talking about. And she'd do all of that. Why? So she could get just some human interaction, a human touch, someone to care. Hey, how's your, how you doing? How's your, you know, think about that. That's programmed into us. Jesus cares for us. Jesus has compassion on us. People want to be cared for, and God wants to care for them. Think about that. People, I'll do it myself. God wants to care for you. He wants to let him love you. Let him help you. 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us, cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Listen to that, cast. The imagery is what? Maybe you got this big load on your back, and you just cast it at the feet of Jesus. You say, oh, I don't want to bother Jesus. He's so busy. Oh, I don't want to bother Jesus. There's people in worse shape than me, and he's got to take care of them as if, you know, he only had, as if he was an omnipresent and he couldn't handle it all at the same time. And so what? We hold our burden. Today I want to tell you, release your burden. Release your struggle. Release what afflicts you and cast it at the feet of Jesus because he cares for you. Stop carrying it yourself. It's wearing you out. It's stealing your joy. It's making you bitter. I'll do it myself. Stop. He wants to care for us. But we've got to cast our cares on him. What Jesus says next to this man almost seems insensitive. It's almost a silly question. He says to him, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made well? Have you ever had somebody ask you a question that it was almost like it was aggravating just that they asked that? Would you like a million dollars? Would you like a free brand new car? Well, why are you asking me a rhetorical question? Come on, Jesus, I'm laying here. I'm in the heat. I'm laying on the porch. I'm hanging out with all the sick people. It's a little depressing. It's a, it's a depressing scene. You know, how, who, who survived the night? What part fell off the guy next to me? You know, it's a t it's a, I'm laying here in the sun. And you ask me, do I want to be healed? Of course I want to be healed. But it's not a silly question. It's actually a very powerful and revealing 
question that will bring an answer that is really important for us. Do you want to be made well? The reason Jesus asks is because there are many people out there who are carrying weights and sins and burdens and afflictions and, and in certain lifestyles, and you know what? They don't want to be free of them. This might come as a shock to us, so I'm going to give you some examples here so you understand what I'm talking about. The drug addict or the alcoholic who still enjoys the vice and enjoys the lifestyle, who doesn't want to give up his friends at the bar or doesn't want to give up the, the pleasure he finds in the bottle, doesn't want to be free. And a person who's hooked on drugs or alcohol that doesn't want to be free is going to stay in that pattern. The sinner who's still enjoying the season of sin doesn't want to be free. You know, the Bible says that the pleasure of sin is for a season. Yes, sin is fun. Newsflash, everybody. If sin wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it. But it's fun for just a short time. And then it's not fun anymore. And then it costs you more than you ever wanted to pay. It takes you further than you ever wanted to go. It steals from you things that you can never get back. So the person who's in that season of sin and they're still having a fun time, they don't want to be healed. The victim who loves being a victim because of the attention that victims get doesn't want to be freed from that victim status. I've seen people who've been victims their whole lives over things that happened to them 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Well, what happened to you? You know, X, Y, and Z. Oh, that's terrible. I'm sorry about it. When did that 50? Let it go. How long are we going to hold on to things, amen? Well, and I've seen it. Well, I just enjoy the attention I get from being a victim. Poor me. That person's not ready to be healed. The fearful soul who knows that it's going to be hard to confront the things that have kept them in bondage and says, I'd rather just stay in bondage. They're not ready to be free. The broken person who's been afflicted for so long that their identity is now tied up in, in that affliction. Do you remember the paralyzed man, the, the, the man with the withered hand, the woman with the issue of blood? Their issue had become so big, it had become their identity. Some people's identity is in their affliction. It's in their problem. It's in their disease. It's in their, you know, their, their addiction. And they don't want to be free. The soul that's snared by sexual sin and has been told that, you know, that's the way they were born and that's the lifestyle that they have to live and, and, and they're not quite sure who they are even outside of that and they're not quite sure they even want to be made free. Quiet now. You see, all of us have been made in God's image. That means we're a trichotomous being. We are three parts. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're, we're body, soul, and spirit. We got three parts. We are in God's image because we have a free will. God didn't make robots. He didn't make puppets. There's no strings on me this morning. We're not marionettes. We have a free will. You say, Pastor, what's your point? My point is that if we want to be healed, first, we've got to want to be healed. If we're going to get healed, we've got to choose by a choice of our free will to be healed. That list I just read you of those that aren't ready to be made free will stay in bondage to the moment that they say, I've had enough. Jesus, break these chains. So the question to him that day, do you want to be healed, wasn't insensitive. It wasn't rude. It wasn't silly. It was the linchpin it was, the, it was the 
most prominent part of the miracle that was about to take place in his life because he needed to decide once and for all that he wanted to be healed. We're going to see when we get further into the text that he begins to make excuses why he can't be healed. We're going to talk about that, God willing, if we get together again. But understand this, it was a decision of his will that had to be made. It was a question that Jesus asked. And so the Holy Spirit asked all of us today the same question. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be healed? Do you want the chains in your life broken? Do you want to be set free? from wrong thought patterns, from religious ideas, and from uh, systems of spirituality that don't lead to God? Do you want to be free? The answer that we give to that question that Jesus just asked this man will determine whether or not we get free today or whether we lay around the pool until another opportunity comes. Let's bow our heads today. Father, I pray that by the Holy Spirit, you would show us the spots in our life where maybe we've resisted deliverance, maybe we've ignored the affliction, maybe we've ignored the sin, and we haven't brought it to you, we haven't come to you and asked you to set us free. Father, maybe we're in bondage to the past, maybe we, we have anger and, and, and angst built up against someone who's abused us or hurt us or mistreated us or misspoken to us and the bondage of it has consumed our joy and it's robbed our potential in the kingdom of God. Father, I pray today that you would show us where we're stuck and that we would hear your voice echo in our soul. Do you want to be healed? We are your children, Lord. The Old Testament tells us that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but you deliver us from all of them. The New Testament tells us that healing is the children's bread. Whatever we need today, it's in Christ. It's in your broken body and the blood that you poured out for us. So where we're in bondage, we ask that you deliver us. Where we're afflicted, we ask that you, you deliver us. Where we need healing, we ask that you heal us today. We make a decision of our will to drop all those things that become heavy weights for us and to say, yes, Lord, I want to be healed. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him praise this morning. Amen.